I'm Beth Bennett, and this is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2017. Coming up, an interview with Dr. Martin Blazer of New York University, who challenges the assumption that antibiotics are harmless drugs targeting only harmful pathogens. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. Malaria is widespread in the developing world, but as global temperatures rise, so does the spread of this disease. In 2015, there were 296 million cases of malaria worldwide, resulting in an estimated 731,000 deaths. After years of study, vaccines remain elusive, and both mosquitoes and the parasite causing the disease continue to develop resistance. Two new approaches have recently emerged from teams at Johns Hopkins University. The first focuses on developing strains of genetically modified bacteria to fight the parasite. After biting a person infected with malaria, the female mosquito carries the malaria parasite in its gut and passes it on with its next bite. The researchers engineered bacteria to deliver parasite-stopping proteins in the mosquito guts. When these mosquitoes were fed blood containing the parasite, Most of the parasites died within a day. A second group of scientists genetically engineered mosquitoes to produce a protein in their gut that inhibits the parasite. In a surprising twist, they found that each sex of mosquito preferred a modified partner for mating, causing the malaria-blocking gene to spread through the mosquito population. Both of these papers were published last week in the journal Science. And now for a weird twist on the microbiome. Researchers in Spain found a wide range of bacterial species in 12 patients they studied with cystic fibrosis. Each patient had his or her own bacterial makeup that remained relatively steady over the study period. But what surprised researchers was also finding two types of predatory bacteria among the samples. They hypothesized that the predators in the early stage of disease may prevent the colonization of bacteria normally associated with cystic fibrosis, which may exacerbate the disease symptoms. Predator bacteria are usually found in aquatic ecosystems, but a recent study found them in the gut microbiota of healthy individuals also. The findings show that the lung microbiota in cystic fibrosis patients is more complex than previously thought. In patients with cystic fibrosis, lung function declines gradually due to a vicious cycle of inflammation and tissue destruction caused by chronic bacterial colonizations from the lower respiratory tract. These results suggest that predatory bacteria could be used as a therapeutic strategy to reduce the bacterial load of the lungs of these patients. These findings were presented last week at the annual conference of the American Society for Microbiology. And now for some local events. The first emperor who ruled China from 221 to 210 BCE built a terracotta army that has captured the world's attention since its first discovery in the 1970s. The thousands of marionette-like figures standing in formation testified to an administration that had achieved unprecedented military power. The first emperor's famous assemblage, however, was not the last terracotta army to be commissioned. 
His original assemblage inspired a long line of clay armies in subsequent dynasties. A presentation at the C.U. Henderson Museum will examine the newer figurines and their relationship to preceding armies, reflecting on their unique style and considering what the armies reveal about warfare and politics in China's long-lasting empires. This lecture is part of the Archaeological Institute of America lecture series and will take place at 7 p.m. this Thursday, October 5th, in room 270 Hale Science on the CU campus. And also at CU this Thursday and Friday at 7 p.m. in the Fisk Planetarium, a full dome show and lecture on the archaeology and astronomy of the ancient Puebloans. A thousand years ago, their civilization developed a complex relationship with land, sun, moon, and stars. A team at CU has been studying the remnants of the civilization they left behind, making important discoveries. The full dome environment at Fisk immerses the audience in the stunning landscapes, archaeological sites, and starry skies of the Southwest. This educational experience will combine ancient knowledge and modern technology to explore the universal connection between humans and the skies. Last week, I spoke with Dr. Martin Blazer about his recent book, The Missing Microbes. Blazer believes that antibiotics are causing the extinction of important bacteria in our microbiome. These microbes have co-evolved with us, so losing them puts us at risk of many of the rising diseases in our society, asthma, allergies, eczema, and obesity. Welcome to the program, Marty. You have, well, not just, but in the last couple years, released a book on the microbiome that is really fascinating. And maybe you could start talking about just exactly what the microbiome is and then launch into the effect of antibiotics on our gut microbiota. Well, first, Beth, thank you very much for having me on your show. And I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, I love to talk about it. Uh, so, uh, and the reason that I, I, I wrote my book, Missing Microbes, is to talk to regular people. I'm I talk to scientists and doctors a lot, but I want to talk to regular people, uh, and, and here is why. So you, you asked what the microbiome is. So the simple statement is that the microbiome is a composite of all the microbes that live in and on our body. We have a microbiome. Dogs have microbiomes. Elephants have microbiomes. Fish, every, every insects, everybody has their own microbiome. And what we now know is that these microbes have been with us since time immemorial. They, they've been with us since before we were human. And as we have evolved, they have evolved. So they are our partners. And the, the reason that I wrote Missing Microbes is because I became concerned that these ancient organisms are changing, that they're disappearing. Some of the really ancient ones are disappearing. And uh, more than a decade ago, I hypothesized that that would have consequences, that you can't lose old friend like that without having consequences. And sure enough, it's true. There are some benefits to losing certain organisms, but there appear to be big costs also. Yes, yeah, so, so you, you did some 
fascinating experiments I want to get to, but maybe we can just talk generally about what happens when you take antibiotics. Well, you know, in general, uh, uh, doctors prescribe antibiotics to treat a bacterial infection. Antibiotics work against bacteria. And since they were developed uh, beginning essentially in the 1940s, doctors and scientists uh, have have seen that antibiotics are amazing. They they have saved countless numbers of lives in people who have had really severe illnesses. But because they're so great, and because the public, everyone knows they're so great, antibiotics are being used more and more and more to the tune of hundreds of millions of courses of antibiotics every year in the United States, almost almost close to one course of antibiotics per person per year in the U.S. That's how much we're using them. And antibiotics have collateral effects. They're not just treating the bacterial infection, but they're they're affecting the microbiome, all of our ancient organisms. And there's evidence that they perturb the microbiome and in some cases seem to be leading to extinctions of specific organisms. Which makes sense because, like you say in the book, they're called broad-spectrum antibiotics, meaning they don't just target the organism that makes you sick when you take them. They target basically every bacteria in your body. Right. So because antibiotics are effective against important infections and because they are relatively safe, they don't have, in general, a lot of short-term side effects, everybody thought that they were completely safe. And so doctors, if they weren't sure about something, they might say, well, this, this may not help you, but it won't hurt you. That's, that's like the, the, the mantra out there among doctors and the public. That's why the public clamors for antibiotics, because they think, well, uh, it might help. And everybody's forgetting the fact that it might have cost to us. It may have harm. And, and our work and the work of a number of other people is showing that there is harm, that there is cost, that it it is disrupting our microbiome, and that has health consequences. And what led you to hypothesize that antibiotics could have a deleterious effect on the microbiome? Well, actually, a lot of the work began uh, uh, when I began studying uh, some of the studies I did in Colorado when I was... uh, Uh, on the faculty of the University of Colorado in in the medical center. Then it was in Denver. Uh, um, We were working on a bacteria that lives in the stomach called Helicobacter. And just to make a very long story short, Helicobacter has been the dominant organism in the human stomach since time immemorial. But it's now clear that this organism is disappearing. And over the course of the 20th century in places like the United States, it's gone from virtually universal, that everybody had it. Now, fewer than 5% of our children have it. So it, in just a couple of generations, this bacteria is going extinct. And because of that, we can now assess, is, is it good to have the bacteria or bad to have the bacteria? And the original work, including our work, showed that, there's, that there are some real costs with having helicobacter. Helicobacter is the major cause of ulcers. And, in fact, the people who discovered that won the Nobel Prize. Uh, and, and we showed that helicobacter is a major cause of stomach cancer, 
which is a very bad form of cancer. But there's more and more, and as, as helicobacter is disappearing, ulcers are disappearing, and stomach cancer is getting less in places where it's going away. So all of that is good news. But there are all these other diseases that are rising, uh, like uh, reflux esophagitis and a condition called Barrett's esophagus and another condition called adenocarcinoma of the esophagus. It's a cancer of the esophagus. It's, it's the fastest rising cancer in the United States. So uh, this is going up as helicobacter is going down. So we and others began to think, well, I wonder if there's some connection. And we and others have found a connection that helicobacter appears to protect the esophagus. So it's bad for your stomach, but it seems to be good for your esophagus. As it's going away, certain stomach diseases are going away, and certain esophageal diseases are going up. And then we found uh, that it was connected to asthma as well, because doctors like me know that there's a connection between reflux esophagitis and asthma. So we asked, well, if helicobacter is protective against esophagitis, could it be protective against asthma? And we found evidence that it was. And there's now more and more evidence that this organism uh, has benefit uh, against asthma and that its disappearance may be one of the things that's triggering this, this worldwide asthma epidemic. And this so, is really an important finding because, like you say, it is an epidemic. And I can't believe how much more common just in the last 20 years asthma has become. Yeah, so... So it's kind of the bias of discovery. It was first discovered as a bad organism, as a pathogen, but now we're finding evidence that it has its good sides too. So the story is not simple. It's not a simple black and white story that all helicobacter is bad, we have to get rid of it. It's, it's kind of gray. It's, it's bad for some people and it's good for other people, and we have to understand what are those differences. But it's a kind of... A, its disappearance is kind of a symptom of the changes in our in our ecology. We think about ecology as happening all around us, but it's actually happening in us as well. And it's very clear that human microecology is changing. We're losing our ancient organism. And this is and a... just like climate change yeah. can manifest as hurricanes and as floods and as warming and as rain. Uh, uh, this microecology ecological change could manifest as asthma or reflux or diabetes or obesity. These are these are all the diseases that are going up. Yeah, and you did some very cool experiments with mice, really beautifully designed. Could you talk a little bit about those um, experiments where you gave the mice um, very limited exposure to antibiotics and you found increased, say, obesity and other problems? Well, this work comes from an observation uh, that has been known for the last 70 years, which is, which is something that agricultural scientists discovered. They found that if you give antibiotics to farm animals, they'll grow faster. Uh, it's what's called growth promotion. And farmers do it because it works. And as of, as of now, 70% uh, uh, of all the antibiotics used in the United States and probably worldwide, are used on the farm for animals to, in, in essence, to fatten them up. And so that's a problem in itself for many reasons, but 
about 15 years ago, a light bulb went off for me, and I thought, wow, why does giving antibiotics to farm animals fatten them up? What's going on? And I thought, you know, maybe this affects their microbiome. And then the second light bulb went off. Well, if giving antibiotics to young farm animals changes their growth and development, what are we doing to our children? Maybe the antibiotics we're giving them early in life are having effects on their growth. So this is, this is a hypothesis. It's a hypothesis, but we, we began to do experiments so that we could test the hypothesis, such as the experiments uh, in mice. So to make it very simple, uh, we did one series of experiments where we gave mice antibiotics. They became fat, just like the animals on the farm. Another group of mice were put on a high-fat diet. They became fat, as expected. And, but when we put them on antibiotics and the high-fat diet together, they became very fat. They doubled the amount of body fat they had. So the antibiotic potentiated the effect of the diet, of the bad diet. And so that was the first, well, actually it wasn't the first, but it was one of the early experiments in a whole series of experiments where we showed that giving antibiotics perturbed the microbiome and the microbiome is changing metabolism, causing uh, uh, mice to get fatter. I think this is such a fascinating finding. Do you have any ideas uh, about what it is that the microbiome does that promotes obesity? Well, that's something we're working on right now. I mean, it's a, it's a very active area. We, we, can, we have shown in, in a paper we published in Nature that, the, uh, that giving the antibiotics changes the composition of the microbiota. It changes their ability to produce certain molecules that are called short-chain fatty acids. These are energy molecules, and they go from the intestine to the liver, and they help the liver make more fat. And uh, uh, we could show that, that the antibiotics changed the composition of the microbes in there. They selected for different microbes that had different metabolic characteristics. So part of it is that we're making more energy. Right. And so are some of these microbes that do make more of these fatty acids, uh, are they more resistant to the antibiotics, perhaps because of the effects in agricultural animals? Uh, you, you know, um, it's a, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a good inference. I'm not sure that that's correct, however. And, and because the thing that's really amazing is that when farmers give in antibiotics to farm animals, to fatten them up, it works for chickens, it works for pigs, it works for cows, it works for fish, it works for insects. I mean, this, is, this is, goes across a broad swath of evolution. There's something fundamental in the early life microbiota in terms of how it is choreographing development. Uh, and when you perturb it, uh, it, it changes development. So it's really specific to early development so that... There... We, we did experiments where we compared giving the antibiotics at birth and giving them a few weeks later, and it makes a difference. And by the way, that's what the farmers found. There are many studies done in the 1950s and 1960s that show the same phenomena. The earlier you give it, the stronger the effect. So Let if... me just tell you that the average child in the United States is getting three courses of antibiotics by the time they're two. So if so, you had a take-home message for parents, it would be cut back on the antibiotics for as long as possible. Well, I, I would say, firstly, uh, antibiotics have cost. 
They they are not free. And uh, if your child is sick, seek medical attention. And if the doctor says, no, your child isn't too bad, uh, they don't need antibiotics, you should be happy. You, you should think the doctor's done a careful exam. My child isn't that sick. They're going to get better by themselves, as occurs in almost all cases. Uh, on the other hand, if the doctor says, your child is really sick, they need an antibiotic, you need to do it. You need to give your child the antibiotic. So it, it, what, I'm, what I'm calling for is better judgment, better judgment by doctors, better judgment by parents about when their children need antibiotics. Right. Because antibiotics are not free. They have costs, hidden costs that we did not appreciate 20 years ago. They were there. We just didn't appreciate them. Right. Absolutely. And so what else would you suggest to people in terms of protecting their microbiome? Well, if we begin at birth, uh, it turns out that a lot of pregnant women take antibiotics. Uh, They're prescribed by doctors. More than half of all pregnant women are, are receiving some form of antibiotic during pregnancy just before that intergenerational handoff of the microbes. So I think doctors and pregnant women need to be more cautious about when they use antibiotics. And then babies are being born by a cesarean section. They're not going through the normal birth canal. Right now, one baby out of three is in the U.S. is born by C-section. That's a big number. Actually, in some countries, it's up to one baby in two. So that's a phenomenal change in human ecology that has kind of happened under our noses. You're right. And it's happened incredibly fast. And it's have... happened incredibly fast, and there's more and more evidence that the babies born by C-section have increased risk for disease, like obesity, like juvenile diabetes, like celiac disease. These are some of the diseases that are rising dramatically. And have you had experience with um, this proposed solution that I've been hearing about if your baby is born by cesarean section to do some kind of vaginal swabbing for the newborn? Well, I'm interested in how, how did you hear about that? I've, I've heard about it in several books. I interviewed um, some authors on this program, in fact, who suggested that. Well, the person who developed that technique is my wife. Yes, uh, Her yes. name is Maria Gloria Dominguez, and she has been doing studies of C-section and the microbiome for years, and she had a paper that was published last year in Nature Medicine, a very uh, high-impact journal on a small clinical trial showing that women uh, who were born by C-section, if they put a swab in their vagina and swabbed their baby, uh, it would at least partially restore the microbiota. So it was a step in the right direction. And now she and others are involved in big clinical trials uh, to assess this further, not only will she to ask, is the microbiome restored, but are they, can you lower the, the increased risk of, uh, of bad health outcomes by doing that? That's a big project and a very important project. That, that's absolutely correct. That's very important. Well, Marty, I'm sorry to say we have just about run out of time, but we will post a link to your book on our website and hopefully more people will read it and be convinced by these and, and some of the many other stories that you describe in your book. Yeah, thank you. I wrote Missing Microbes for the regular person, and, and I, I, I look forward, I, I get emails from readers all the time. 
And it is really accessible to the general public, so I really urge people to pick up a copy of that. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. That was Dr. Martin Blazer. The theme of his book, Missing Microbes, is that our reliance on antibiotics is contributing to the growing epidemic of diseases such as asthma, allergies, diabetes, eczema, and obesity. Check out the link on the How on Earth website. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is me, Beth Bennett, and I produced this week's show, which was engineered by Maeve Conran. Thanks, Maeve. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler, additional music from Friedrich Chopin. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Beth Bennett. Thank you.